And now, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, make the soil of our restless, even reluctant hearts fertile for the seeds of your gospel, even here in this place. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We've all had the experience, haven't we, of having our getting caught with our hand in the cookie jar, or perhaps peeking into the rearview mirror to see those blue lights behind us. A couple years ago on a Fourth of July weekend, um, Beth and I were taking our kids to go visit family in Georgia. We're leaving Birmingham. We had gotten on the interstate, and we started going down the road, and we weren't but a few miles outside of Birmingham when, um, yeah, the state patrol was out, and I think they were waiting on me, actually. And uh, so I saw the blue lights and had to pull over on the shoulder of the road, and the officer came up, and Beth's just shaking her head, and, you know, oh, goodness, you know, and the kids are going, why is, why'd you stop, Dad? And, you know, roll, roll down the window, and the officer needs license and registration, and, you know, I, I'd, I was speeding. I was guilty as charged, and I thought I was just going with the flow of traffic, though. I didn't think there was that big of a deal, but so, so we got our ticket, and uh, the officer said, drive safe out there and slow down. I said, yes, sir, of course. He gets back into his patrol car and waits for me to get back onto the interstate, and I make my way back onto the interstate, and you know that, you know that feeling when you, you get in your car and you drive somewhere, and you just kind of get into autopilot, and it's almost like, how did I arrive at this place? Just because you know how to get someplace, so you don't necessarily remember all the steps that went into driving from point A to point B. I, like that, moved into just autopilot and started driving in the right lane of the interstate, but I had revved up to where I was over the speed limit again, and Beth said, Adam, what are you doing? And sure enough, I was not but a mile down the road, and blue lights again. Now, this was a different uh, patrol car, so the officer was different, so he didn't know my story, nor was he that sympathetic to the fact that I had just received a ticket minutes before. And Beth's just going, I mean, are you kidding me? And so this whole shame cloud, like, descends over me, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I've done this, you know? Who gets pulled over twice in a mile for tickets? And uh, yes, it's me. It's true. But, but here's a couple things that did not happen when I was pulled over. One thing that did not happen was my heart didn't just kind of swell with gratitude for, I'm so thankful for, the, for a law where there's a speed limit, you know, like I'm just so glad there's this law here because it keeps us all safe. I, that wasn't happening in that moment. Another thing that didn't happen is the officer didn't just walk up to the window of my car and kind of lean in eye level and smile at me and reach over with his arm and say, Oh, Adam, my dear brother in Christ, um, you know, let's pray together to God for some strength to help you be more faithful in obeying the law of the land. Another thing that unfortunately didn't not happen is I, 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 I did not um, remain under the speed limit every time I've driven since then. Um, but though I'm thank, thankful to report, I have not received very many speeding tickets since. You know, but, but, but the thing is, the, the shame and the sense of condemnation that came over me that second time in particular, uh, it, it, it didn't come from actually going faster than the speed limit. It came rather from getting caught. It came from being exposed 
twice, as my wife gladly points out to me. You see, this condemnation, it appeared in a very physical form, in the form of a, of a financial tax that was going to be exacted from me for my obvious transgression. Uh, believe me, my, pain, my insurance was painfully aware of um, my record at this point. But there was that embarrassment and shame of, oh, I got caught twice in a mile. Who does that? You see, all of us, regardless of what the particular black and white issue might have been, when it comes to God's law, we're all guilty. Because that's what the law does. It, it kind of frames who we are in light of God's perfect law. And, and like, like a hunting dog, it points out where the dead duck is. Because we're all accused as guilty as lawbreakers. And so there's probably things that you could think of immediately that you're familiar with uh, in terms of places you failed. The harsh words that you spoke to a loved one, perhaps it was your spouse or a child. Maybe it's the broken relationship that pains you. Or maybe it's a habit, a particular habit that plagues you with each passing week or month. The pornography problem, the substance abuse issue, the out-of-control credit card spending. We could probably add our own things to that list. And so Paul starts Romans 8.1 after, after setting the stage for, hey, we're all lawbreakers and we're all in big trouble. He has this, this phrase that perhaps you've heard before, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. This is, this is good news for people who have broken the law, people like me and you. Forgiveness is granted to us by grace through faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not in our own ability to keep God's law. And yet, I think we live in a time, in a, in a culture and society that we don't tend to talk about condemnation or walk around with a real sense of who God is and who we are. So I, th I think the, sometimes our hearts don't trust this word from God. We kind of come to church and we nod and we go, yeah, there's no condemnation. And then we go out into the world, and, and I think this is mirrored if you look at the, the ways we use and interact with social media. Because so I think social media uh, reflects how we view ourselves and God in a lot of ways. And the, and the pervasive messaging from the world around us, I think it brings a sense of guilt and shame that constantly reminds you and me, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. Do you have the right opinion on the issue of the day? Does your life project a sense of fulfillment? Whether your, your media form of choice is Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, whatever it is, there, there's a temptation, isn't there, for us to try to up our game a little bit for our followers perhaps to present things as we'd like them to be rather than how they often are. Or we read and look at other people's posts and think, wow, what a cool life they're living. You see, there is, I think, underneath that for you and me, a fear of getting caught, a fear of vulnerability, a fear of being found out, like I was found out that day on the interstate. There's this story that just haunts me from a couple years ago. You may have heard about this. 
there was a young adult woman in New York City. She was getting ready to go out to meet friends at the club. She had even recently taken pictures and posted on Facebook about how great her life was. Before going out, she climbed to the top of a building and leapt off to her death. Things, it seems, were not as were presented to the world. This woman, she felt she was unworthy, unfit to inhabit the world she had encountered. It's a very dramatic story, a very dramatic example. Perhaps that's not you and me today who are on the verge of such things, and yet I think Thoreau's words are right, that we do live lives of quiet desperation, all of us, beneath the veneer, beneath the shine, beneath the putting ourselves together and putting our best foot forward. There is a sense of desperation that we all carry. One, one author called this the Xanax Nation. Xanax is a medication used to prescribe very liberally in the medical world to, right now for various anxiety disorders. Um, and it's, some people have anxiety disorders that really do need chemical treatment. Um, but, but the use and prescription of Xanax in particular has rocketed in the, in the past decade. We are anxious people. We're longing for meaning and, and, and we're, we have a pervasive inability to cope with all the pressures that life brings to us. And I, I think condemnation in that sense is actually everywhere. And we're going to walk out from these doors after hearing this message. And at some point this week, I guarantee you, you're going to get a message to, you, to your own heart, either from the outside or from within the depths of your own soul. You're not enough. You're not enough. And I think if we looked at the jagged edges of our lives, places of shame, failure, disappointment, or regret, the things that really keep us up at night, we, we would understand what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about this law that leads to death and the freedom that Christ brings to us, a freedom from that enslavement. And I do think the most pervasive tyrant for us today is our inability to rest, an inability to rest in who God is, an inability to rest in who we are. We carry this around with us in our pockets all the time, smartphones, right? Constantly beckoning to us, calling to us, to put ourselves out there, to engage things, getting messaging uh, of, of what is going on in other people's lives. Even in calm moments or moments of boredom, what are you drawn to? It's like, why am I checking my email constantly? Why am I looking at messages? Why am I reading the news reports? It happens so quickly, and, you know, it, for, for my kids and, and their, um, in their environment, it's not smartphones so much, but fidget spinners, you've seen these, right? These, li these little gadgets that they can just kind of play with and mess with, they actually have them for adults too, in all kinds of sizes and shapes. Ways that people, we, we just, I think that just shows that we have a nervous energy about us, and it's just rendered in this plastic and steel or computerized way that we're searching desperately for a way to unplug between just the errands and work and jettisoning our kids between karate and clarinet practice and advanced placement tutoring. We're busy, and we've packed our lives, and we don't know what to do when there's not something right in front of us. Paul says there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. 
There's a line in a Mary Oliver poem that says, tell me, what is your plan, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? That's what each of us is given, isn't it? It's an invitation that sounds exciting, but it also can feel like pressure. A pressure to succeed or to win or to experience all of life. We have an acronym for this now. You know this acronym, FOMO, the fear of missing out. FOMO, I've got FOMO. I don't want to miss out. And I think that's what draws us to always be on our phone, to always wonder what, what, what experience we might be able to have. Paul's reminding us here in Romans 8, there's no condemnation for us. We don't have to live according to the flesh, according to the old way, wondering if we really are enough because Jesus himself is enough for us. Who's going to break into this anxiety-fueled world and free us from the tyranny of our plight? He tells us what the law was incapable of doing, God's good, holy, and righteous law. It was incapable of changing our hearts. It was incapable of, of turning us towards God and being authentic and vulnerable. God has done by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. You and my, our shame, our failure, our unbelief, our distraction, our listlessness, all the ways that we inhabit this world not facing God, they've been nailed to the cross at Calvary. Jesus has borne those things for us, and so they have vanished. They are no longer real. The barrier between us and God has been removed Jesus comes to us. He does for us what we're incapable of doing for ourselves. The promise of the gospel tells us what Jesus has done for us, yes. But Paul emphasizes here also what God did in Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing in you, in your midst, through you, by bringing life to what is otherwise dead. The Spirit of Christ brings freedom the spirit of the law brings death because it points a finger of accusation at us. God's promise is not empty. He, Paul writes, but you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. He says in another place that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the place, the physical dwelling where God's spirit is. And so it's no accident when Deacon Michael dismisses us at the end of the service to go out and mission into the world. You are taking the Jesus that you have received by faith, by the, the words being spoken to you, the Holy Scriptures being read to you, and by taking in the bread and the wine, the blood and the body of Jesus. You are taking that out with you into the world. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, friends. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Spirit that dwells in you. That's power. That's good news. It's not good advice. It's not a way to find your place in the world. Your place is given to you by God. You are giving an elaborate gift. This is deep promise of the gospel to us. It's a lifeline to us who live in a world that's drowning in its own insecurity and its own insincerity. 
This is a word from God to you and to me. Paul later in Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? If you have this truth and this promise from God whose promises are true and who never fails, who could possibly stand in our way? We don't have to receive the messaging that we interact with every day as the final declaration of who we are or of our worth, because <laughs> our worth is already given to us, it's granted to us by the God who made us, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He gives us all things through the death and resurrection of Christ, through the sending of His Holy Spirit. So whatever the missed opportunity is in your life, wherever you're thinking of a long-held disappointment or regret, or a persistent worry that you have of not being worthy somehow, look up here and see the arms of Jesus extended to you. A, a statement of welcome. God has the last word for us. So when you come forward in a few minutes for the Eucharist, I'd like to, in your mind, think of the, th the thing that you could not put on social media. The, the post that you could never make because it would be so scandalous and so destroy your reputation. The thing that would just melt you. Take that thing in your mind, whether it's regret, a place of shame, something you're just longing to be different, and at the altar rail, quietly give that to God. Say, thank you that you've taken this and there's no longer condemnation. This is no longer mine. You've taken it from me. And, and go back to your seat and get ready to leave this place with a freedom, knowing that the accusation of regret or shame or fear or anxiety, it does not hold claim to you. Because when you belong to Christ, then, friends, you are truly free. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.